You are listening to a message that was given at Living Word Chapel, Oracle, Arizona. It is our hope and prayer that God will use this message to speak to you and enrich your life. For more information, visit lwcoracle.org. Well, as we enter this Advent season, we're going to begin a new series called Celebrate Christmas. And as you know, there are so many things about Christmas that can be celebrated. Uh, But we want to just focus in today on one aspect of Christmas, and that's Christmas is a celebration of joy. You know, if I was to use one word to describe or sum up what Christmas is all about, it would be that little word joy. Joy is just three letters, J-O-Y. But it's mentioned 155 times in the Old Testament, 60 times in the New Testament. And of those 60 times that they use joy in the New Testament, eight of them are in the Christmas story. And many of the carols that we sing at Christmas time, they speak of joy. Songs like, Joy to the World, The Lord is Come. Or, O come, all ye faithful, joyful and triumphant. And then there's my favorite, and I wonder if we could just sing a little bit of it today. I'll lead you in. It's Hark the Herald Angels. Are you ready? Hark the herald angels sing, glory to the newborn king. Peace on earth and mercy mild, God and sinners reconciled. Joyful all ye nations rise, join the triumph of the skies. With angelic hosts proclaim, Christ is born in Bethlehem. Hark the herald angels sing, glory to the newborn king. Ooh, you guys sound nice. Give yourselves a hand. (laughs) Yeah. So where does Christmas joy come from? Have you ever thought about that? Well, the answer is found recorded in the Gospel of Luke in chapter 2. And we see that the night that 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 night, there were shepherds staying in the fields nearby, guarding their flocks of sheep. Suddenly, an angel of the Lord appeared among them, and the radiance of the Lord's glory surrounded them. They were terrified, and I think I would be too. But the angel reassured them, don't be afraid, he said. I bring you good news that will bring great joy to all people. The Savior, yes, the Messiah, the Lord has been born today in Bethlehem, the city of David, and you will recognize him by this sign. You will find a baby wrapped snugly in cloths lying in a manger. And so this morning, I want us to explore three points concerning joy. First of all, we'll see that good news brings joy. And the good news that we're talking about is the news that Jesus, the Son of God, the promised Messiah, has come to earth to reconcile man back to God. Next, we'll see that joy is not to be confused with happiness. And then finally, we'll see that 
it is possible to live a joy-filled life in the midst of hardship. So let us pray. Heavenly Father, we love you. And as we enter this Advent season, Father, we celebrate the birth of our Savior. We thank you for the fulfillment of your promise of redemption offered in grace to those who believe. And it's through the death and burial and resurrection of Jesus Christ that we can have relationship with you. And so thank you for giving us your joy this Christmas season. In Jesus' name, amen. So point number one, joy is the result of the good news that Christ has come. And in order to fully appreciate the good news, we first need to look at the depth of our dilemma with sin and death. And to do this, we need to go back to the very beginning. John tells us, in the beginning, the Word already existed. The Word was with God, and the Word was God. He existed in the beginning with God. God created everything through Him, and nothing was created except through Him. The Word gave life to everything that was created, and His life brought light to everyone. So God saw His creation, and He said, this is very good. It's perfect. And he made Adam and Eve, and he placed them within a garden that he had created. And in this garden, there was every kind of tree imaginable that was pleasing to the eye and good for food. But in the middle of this garden, he placed two trees that were unlike the other trees, the tree of life and the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. And God said, you're free to eat from any of these trees except one. You're not to eat of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. Oops. Just a minute. Technical difficulties. But Adam willingly disobeyed. He chose to live his life independently of God. And because of his disobedience, mankind was separated from their, his, their creator. And because of his disobedience, death and sin entered into the world. And this is the world that you and I have been born into. In Genesis 3.15, God tells the serpent, I will put enmity between you and the woman between your offspring and hers. He will crush your head, and you will strike his heel. And the Jewish rabbis understood that this passage referred to the Messiah. It's the first promise of the Redeemer, or, and it's a beginning of a long line of prophecies about a coming of the Messiah. The promised one would be from the seed of a woman. And that's an indication of the eventual virgin birth of Jesus Christ. Now, however, this plan of redemption didn't begin in the garden. The apostle John tells us in Revelation 13:8 that Jesus was slain before the foundation of the world. Think about that. 
before the universe was created, before time existed, before God made man and woman, he knew that we in Adam would rebel against our creator, that we would turn our backs on him and choose to live independently. And in his wisdom and in his love, in all eternity, he pre predetermined a plan so that we could be reconciled and brought back into right standing with God. You see, this wasn't plan B. This was plan A. God loves us so much. Knowing full well that we would fall, that he sent his only son so that we could have eternal life and a relationship with him. Well, after they're expelled from the garden because of the sin, the story continues, and it's a story of man trying to live independently of God. And we see jealousy, we see hatred, murder, we see idol worship. But the overall theme is that man is living for himself. He's living independently from God and attempting to control his own life and the life of everyone around him. But still, even as men continue to live separated from God, the promise of redemption persisted. And we follow the promise of the seed through Adam and Eve's third son, Seth, right on down through Noah. And then we see it in Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. And it continues down the, the lineage through David, who is the son of Jesse, a shepherd boy whose heart is after God. And he's watching these sheep in the hillsides around Bethlehem. And God chooses him, not because of his outward stature, but because of what he sees, that he has a heart after him. Well, God renews the promise of the seed through David's lineage. And he makes him a king. And the promise that God makes to David is, it's not only that all the families on the earth will be blessed, but that his seed would have an everlasting kingdom. And we find this promise, promise recorded in 2 Samuel. It says, For when you die and are buried with your ancestors, I will raise up one of your descendants, your own offspring, and I will make his kingdom strong. He is the one who will build a house, a temple for my name. And I will secure his royal throne forever. Well, continuing down through Jewish history, we see that there's 265 years after the time of David that the nation of Israel increasingly becomes unfaithful to God and the covenant that he had made. And the people of Israel had turned their hearts to idolatry and had forsaken God's plan. And yet in the middle of this corruption, a prophet emerges with a message for the Lord. And it's the prophet Isaiah. And God reestablishes that promise of the Messiah and begins to give clues on how to identify when he appears. Isaiah said, listen well, you royal family of David. Isn't it enough that you exhaust human patience? Must you exhaust the patience of my God as well? All right then. The Lord himself will give you the sign. Look, 
the virgin will conceive a child. She will give birth to a son and will call him Emmanuel. And the word Emmanuel means that God is with us. Well, the Old Testament comes to an end after the prophet Malachi. And then there's 400 years of silence between the Old and the New Testament. And during this silent period, Israel is ruled by several different empires. There's the Babylonians, the Medes, the Persians, the Greeks, and then finally the Roman Empire. And the people of Israel, during this oppression, they yearned for the Messiah. They yearned for deliverance. And then we see suddenly... The silence is broken. After 400 years of silence, Gabriel, the archangel, appears to an ordinary girl in a small village of Nazareth who was betrothed to a man named Joseph. John tells us, the word became human and made his home among us. He was full of unfailing love and faithfulness, and we have seen his glory the glory of the Father's one and only Son. And so the birth of Jesus was the miraculous fulfillment to what God had planned before creation. He is the one that has made all things right. He has defeated the devil, and it's through his death and resurrection that we have been set free from the bondage and the law of sin and death. And we enter into a relationship with him. God has been faithful to his promise that even though man turned away from God and did all manners of evil, he loved us so much that he sent his son into this world, born of a virgin, fully God and fully man. And he gave up his life so that if we would believe and trust in the sacrifice that he made, that we will not perish but have eternal life. And this is the gospel. This is the good news that brings great joy, that God and sinners are reconciled. Point number two, joy is not to be confused with happiness. I wonder how many of us today feel joyful it's easy to feel joyful when you come into church and you gather with your family, with your friends, and art leads us in those joyful celebration songs of joy, and that's easy. But have you noticed that there are these joy stealers that sneak into your life and try to rob you of your joy? Some would say that taking a trip to the mall during this time of the year would be an excellent way to lose your joy. <laughs> I was talking to a woman that I work with, and uh, she was, claims to be a seasoned shopper. And so she's telling me that when she went out on Black Friday that she witnessed three fights break out over the sales. And I think that's just amazing. It's just only three You know, the, the thing that I think is probably a part of the problem is that we tend to equate joy to happiness. But it's important that we know the difference between being happy and having joy. So what is joy? Well, first of all, we know that joy is an emotion. It makes us feel good. We love to feel joy. We 
put it on our Christmas ornaments. We decorate our lawns with it. You see joy everywhere. My wife has dish towels that say joy. She has another one that says peace. I'm waiting for the other two, hope. And well, we'll get into that later. But joy is really much more than just an emotion. What makes joy different from happiness? Well, let's take a look. Happiness depends on happenings. It's what's happening to you. It depends on happenstance or circumstance. But you see that joy is a choice. You choose joy. Happiness is external. It depends on external circumstances. And you're happy as long as you're in those circumstances. But as soon as you leave or they leave you, your happiness fades. But joy is internal character. It's what's on the inside. And that's why we can be joyful even when we're in the midst of the most depressing of circumstances. Happiness depends on where you are in the moment. Have you ever been to Disneyland, the happiest place on earth? Then you remember the joy and the, the happiness that you feel when you, you first enter into the gate. You, you give them your ticket, you come in, and right in front there, there's this beautiful display of, of flowers. And if you go on Christmas, it's uh, poinsettias, poinsettias, however you say that word, those red flowers. And you see those, and then the steam engine comes by, and it's just one of those Kodak moments. In fact, they even have a plaque right there in front that says, Kodak Moments. And so you can take your picture right there in front of the flowers and the, the steam engine. And then you enter in and, and you hear the music. And, and at Christmas time, they decorate. And you have the light poles have Mickey Mouse ears. And, and you, there's a big Christmas tree. And you have lights all down Main Street. But it doesn't take very long before that happiness is replaced by a whole gamut of emotions. First of all, you thought you were the first one to enter the park, and as you come up, they have it roped off, and there's like a thousand people in front of you, and so you get a little bit anxious. Am I going to make it to that ride before the end of the day? And so you're standing there in line, and, and they open up the gate, and you walk across, and now that anxiety is replaced by, well, terror in my part when the kids were little. We're coming along and we're trying to keep the kids and keep us all together and we want to keep our families together so we can enter the ride at the same time and that never happens. You always have somebody that's in line and then you have 30 people that get in front of you and then you finally get in and you have to, excuse me, pardon me, excuse me, I'm with them. And then you got the people right behind you say, excuse me, pardon me, I'm right with them. And that's hard to be happy when you have those kind of things going on. Standing in line, you're hungry. And so you decide, well, I'm going to go get me a cheeseburger. And you stand in line, and you're hungry. And then you pay $15 for a Happy Meal. Doesn't that make you happy? <laughs> Not to mention the strollers that run over you. And so we see that happiness is temporary. It doesn't last. I remember on Christmas, 
It was 1970. I remember it that well. And I received a genuine leather Franklin football. It had the real laces. Oh, it was so cool. I was so happy. And it even had Joe Namath's signature printed right on it. I was happy. It was the exact gift, the, the exact football that I had been looking at and, and drooling over the, in the Sears and Roebuck Christmas catalog. And I had even placed a couple check marks right by it, signaling to my parents that this is the gift that I think is kind of cool. Now, every Christmas, our whole family would gather at my grandparents' house. And we'd spend the whole day there. And it was one of the few times during the year when all of my cousins and, and I, we could get together and we could play. And so I was allowed to take just one of my toys along with me. And so I had it already rehearsed in my head. I was going to take this football along with the tee, and we were going to play a, t a game of flag football. It's just me and my cousins, Scott and Bud. Well, you already figured that out. Uh, three people to play flag football. I wasn't that smart in math. And, but my cousin Bud was the oldest, and I don't know if he decided or if we decided that he was going to be the designated quarterback for both teams, Scott being on one team and me being the other team. And it was going to be great. But on the opening kickoff, as the crowds went wild, my football sailed off of the hill into a cactus patch and was instantly deflated along with my happiness. <laughs> and so we see that happiness is temporary. It doesn't last. But joy is eternal. Karen Warren, she wrote a book called Choose Joy. And in it, she wrote a definition that I really like. It says, Joy is the settled assurance that God is in control of every detail in my life. The quiet confidence that ultimately everything will be all right. And the determined choice to praise God in all things. Now, that's a whole lot different than just feeling good, isn't it? Joy is a choice. Joy is character. And joy is commitment. And God wants for all of us to live a joy-filled life. Wouldn't it be great if we all had joy all of the time? The world would be a nicer place. You know, you wouldn't have people being cranky or grumpy. But we don't all have joy at the same time. And that's because joy is a choice. We have to choose joy. And it's because we have those joy stealers that sneak in and rob us of our joy. And so I want us to look at the top three joy stealers that we all face. And these are even found in the Christmas story. And then I want us to look at three choices that we can make that will restore our joy. And we see that these are the choices that Mary and Joseph and the wise men made on that first Christmas. So the first joy stealer we face is anxiety. And we're talking about fear, stress, tension, worry, apprehension, unrest. 
I was reading some statistics that 69% of those surveyed in this poll were anxious at Christmas time. They were stressed out, trying to find that right gift, trying to, to decorate and have all the food and all the other stuff that goes along with the season. And then I think of the nativity scene. And we usually don't equate how stressful that was. Typically, our thoughts are silent night, holy night, all is calm, all is bright. But that first Christmas was incredibly stressful. Let's think for a minute about what was Mary going through? We find her story in the Gospel of Luke. It says, in the sixth month of Elizabeth's pregnancy, and that's uh, Mary's cousin, God sent the angel Gabriel to Nazareth, a village in Galilee, to a virgin named Mary. She was engaged to be married to a man named Joseph, a descendant of King David. Gabriel appeared to her and said, Greetings, favored woman. The Lord is with you. Notice these next two words, confused and disturbed. Mary tried to think what the angel could mean. She must have been terrified. The shepherds were terrified. I would be terrified if I was to see an angel. And don't look like that. You would be too. And so the angel says, don't be afraid, Mary. You have found favor with God. You will conceive and give birth to a son. And you will name him Jesus. Now that must have made her feel better. He will be very great and will be called the Son of the Most High. The Lord God will give him the throne of his ancestor David, and he will reign over Israel forever. His kingdom will never end. Mary asked the angel, but how can this happen? I'm a virgin. The angel replied, the Holy Spirit will come upon you, and the power of the Most High will overshadow you. So the baby to be born will be holy, and he will be called the Son of God. What's more, your relative Elizabeth has become pregnant in her old age. People used to say she was barren, but she has conceived a son and is now in her sixth month. For nothing is impossible with God. Mary responded, I am the Lord's servant. May everything you have said about me come true. And then the angel left her. Wow. It's easy to overlook what she must have been feeling, the stress, the fear, the apprehension, the unrest. I mean, seeing an angel would be extremely frightening. And Mary was only between 12 and 15 years old. We also see that this young teenager was betrothed to be married to a young carpenter named Joseph. And then there's this whole virgin birth thing. What is that? It's never happened before, nor has it happened since. How would Mary tell her mother? Can you imagine? Hey, mom, I was just talking to this angel, and uh, I'm pregnant. 
You're what? Who's the father? Um, God? Yeah, right. What parent is going to believe that? How would she tell her friends? But most importantly, how would she break the news to her fiancé? Think of the scandal. Nazareth was just a small town of about 500. You know, Oracle has, what, about 3,000, 4,000 people? If you go on down to Eagle Crest and, and Saddlebrook, we get bigger. Tucson has a million people. But if something like this was to happen, even in Tucson, being the big city it is, there would be scandal. There would be uh, gossip that would just spread like wildfire. And this is only 500 people. That whole town would have been just up in arms. And then there's the whole nine-month pregnancy, ending in a 90-mile trip on the back of a donkey from Nazareth to Bethlehem so that they can register for a Roman census ordered by Caesar Augustus. Now think about it. Nine months you've carried this child, and I know how miserable Ruth was. Of course, it was in the summer. It was hard for me to be around her. And then to tell her, oh, I'm going to go pay my taxes. Would you come along with me? You can ride on the donkey. You don't have to walk. 90-mile trip from Nazareth to Bethlehem. Well, then when they arrive in Bethlehem, there's no place for them to stay. Think about it. Mary looks over at Joseph and says, honey, I think it's time. What? Here? Now? You've got to be kidding me. Well, they scramble to find shelter in a stable. And that night, surrounded by farm animals, this teenage girl and her fiancé, they deliver her baby who will become the savior of all men. Notice this. When Mary was feeling anxious... She chose to trust in God and to accept his plan. Well, let's talk about Joseph. We find his story in the Gospel of Matthew. This is how Jesus, the Messiah, was born. His mother Mary was engaged to be married to Joseph, but before the marriage took place, while she was still a virgin, she became pregnant through the power of the Holy Spirit. Joseph, her fiancé, was a good man and didn't want to disgrace her publicly. So he decided to break off the engagement quietly. As he considered this, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream. Joseph, son of David, the angel said, do not be afraid to take Mary as your wife. For the child within her was conceived by the Holy Spirit, and she will have a son, and you are to name him Jesus, for he will save his people from their sins. So the second joy stiller that we see, that we all face, is resentment. Think about the hurt, the betrayal, the anger that Joseph must have been feeling. In Israel during this time, a betrothal 
was a legally signed covenant. And Tim shared about that during our communion service. It was a, a covenant between a man and a woman. And it was binding. They would make this commitment a year or more in advance prior to the marriage. Promising themselves to the other one. You know, and unlike a modern engagement, you can't just change your mind and give back the ring. There were legal ramifications. Now, just before they were to be married, Mary became pregnant. And Joseph knows that he's not the father. He must have felt cheated, betrayed, hurt. However, we see that Joseph didn't seek to get even. He didn't seek to retaliate or get revenge. Instead of exposing Mary to public disgrace, even though he was hurt deeply, he decided to just break it off and walk away. But the angel appears to Joseph and tells him, don't be afraid to take Mary as your wife. For the child within her was conceived by the Holy Spirit. Now notice this. When Joseph was hurt, when he was feeling hurt, he chose to offer grace and let the pain go. As I read through this, I think, God, you could have saved Joseph a whole lot of pain if you would have just sent Gabriel when the two of them were together. You know, you could have said, okay, guys, here's the plan. I'm going to send my son, and, and Mary, you're going to give birth to him. Don't worry, Joseph, he's conceived of the Holy Spirit, and this is the plan that's going to save all men. But God didn't do it that way and for a purpose. You see, God doesn't give us the full picture all at once. He wants us to place our trust in Him, to depend on Him, and to follow His direction in life one step at a time. Well, the third joy stealer that we all face is confusion. When we don't know what direction to take. And this is the story of the wise men in the Gospel of Matthew. Jesus was born in Bethlehem in Judea during the reign of King Herod. About that time, some wise men from the eastern lands arrived in Jerusalem asking, Where is the newborn king of the Jews? We saw his star as it rose, and we have come to worship him. King Herod was deeply disturbed when he heard this, as was everyone in Jerusalem. He called a meeting of the leading priests and teachers of the religious law and asked, Where is the Messiah supposed to be born? Now, the wise men must have been aware of the prophecies concerning the promised Messiah. And being versed in ancient astronomy, they were looking for a sign. And so when they saw the star rise in the east, they took that as a miraculous sign that a king has been born. And so they loaded up their their donkeys or their camels or whatever the story says. I don't think it was an SUV, but it was their camels. They loaded up all this stuff and they headed east to Jerusalem. Following the star. And when they arrived in Jerusalem, they must have reasoned and used their intellect and their logic because they were wise men. That a newborn king would be the son of a king. 
and a newborn king would be born in a palace. And so they went to the palace of King Herod, and as they walked in, they must have been confused. Nobody was aware of a new birth. Where is this newborn king of the Jews? We've come to worship him. And nobody knew what they were talking about. Herod must have been confused. I thought I was the king of the Jews, and you're telling me there's a newborn king of the Jews? And everybody there in Jerusalem was confused. Well, if Herod's not the king of the Jews, then who is? Have you ever been on a trip and you get confused about which way to go? How many of you pull over and ask for directions? Yeah, neither do I. <laughs> Ruth and I were headed to a meeting in Kearney this week. But we weren't sure how to get to the location. We knew where Kearney was, but we didn't know the location of this meeting. And so we looked it up on Google Maps. You know, I'm so glad that we have these smartphones and we can ask Google for help. But what do you do when Google Maps gets confused? We plugged in the address and we begin to listen to the navigation, turn right and turn left. And we got to the end of this dirt road behind the airport and realized that he was trying to send us 13 miles in the wrong direction. I don't know where it was going to send us. Probably up through Tiger and Oracle and then back into Kearney. But finally we, we decided, okay, we can't trust Google Maps. And we turned around and headed back to the direction from where we got confused. And we were able to see the street sign and say, okay, this is the sign. And we, it was right there. Probably about a half a mile from the turnoff into Kearney, but we went it the long way around. But we all made it to our, our meeting on time, and so everybody say, Hallelujah. Hallelujah. <laughs> so we see in this passage that the wise men are confused, King Herod's confused, everyone in Jerusalem is confused about the location of the Messiah's birth. And so Herod calls in the priests and the teachers of the religious law, and he asks them, where is the Messiah supposed to be born? And so they have to, to look through their, their manuscripts, and, and they, they pinpoint that the Messiah is to be born in Bethlehem. And so after finding out this information, the wise men head back out, going east to Bethlehem, which is just a short distance from Jerusalem. And once again, they see the star. And so they follow this star, and it, it moves, and it, it goes right over the place where Jesus was. And as I was reading this and preparing the message, this scripture jumped out at me, and we all know it. It's Proverbs 3, verses 5 and 6. And I think about it because the wise men tried to use human wisdom and Find the place where Jesus was born. But it says, trust in the Lord with all your heart. Do not depend on your own understanding. Seek his will and in all you do, and he will show you which path to take. So notice this. When the wise men were surrounded with confusion, they chose to follow God's light one step at a time. God doesn't give us the full picture. He wants us to place our trust and in him and follow the direction that he leads us one step at a time. 
Well, point number three, joy is possible in the middle of hardships. Mary said yes to God, and she welcomed the miracle of joy into a fallen world. What miracle of God's presence do you need today? Is it the forgiveness of sin that seems too great to overcome? Or hope in a situation that's beyond your control? Or maybe you need a sense of purpose and direction in your life? Or joy in the middle of hardships? And we know that hardships will come. We're guaranteed that. But the Word of God reassures us that even as we go through these difficult situations, we can have great joy. James 1, 3 says, Dear brothers and sisters, when troubles come your way, and they do, consider it an opportunity for great joy. For you know that when your faith is tested, your endurance has a chance to grow. Now doesn't that verse just make you feel joyful? Count it all joy when you fall into temptations and trials of every kind. It's a difficult passage to internalize. It's hard to honestly embrace uh, troubles and pain. Yet we're encouraged in this passage because it shows that in difficult circumstances, we can have an opportunity for great joy. And even though we don't understand necessarily uh, all that's going on or the difficulties, we can rejoice in the outcome that they produce. Jesus is a perfect perfect example of this. In Hebrews chapter 12 and verse 2, we read, Let us run with perseverance the race marked out for us, fixing our eyes on Jesus, the pioneer and perfecter of our faith. For the joy set before him, he endured the cross, scorning its shame and set down at the right hand of the throne of God. Jesus foreknew the outcome of his death on the cross. He knew that his death and his resurrection would result in great joy because it would bring new life and a new uh, relationship between God and man. That's the reason that he endured the agonizing death on the cross. Jesus saw the joy in us coming into relationship with him. And he rejoices over us just as what was prophesied by the prophet Zephaniah. It says, The Lord your God is in your midst, a mighty one to save. He will rejoice over you with gladness. He will quiet you with his love. And he will exalt over you with loud singing. The Lord takes delight in us. He rejoices over us. He's joyful and he even sings about our salvation. That just blows my mind that God cares so much about us and he gets so excited about us. He knows we're going to blow it. He knows that we fall short. But he looks at our heart. He sees that our heart is towards God. And he loves us with an everlasting love, a love that doesn't end. It's not conditional. And that's the reason that we can celebrate Christmas. It's because of Jesus that brings this great joy. So don't let anxiety or bitterness, resentment, 
or confusion. Don't let it steal your joy this season. Remember that joy is a choice. And we can take these steps to push away those joy stealers. We can choose like Mary did to trust in the Lord even when there are questions in our mind. We might not always understand the difficulties that we're going through, but we can decide, we can choose to place our trust in God and accept His plan that He has for us, His good, His pleasing, and His perfect plan. We can choose like Joseph did to offer grace to others in the middle of of conflict and misunderstanding. People around us need grace. We need grace. It's when we put aside our hurt, our resentment, our unforgiveness, and we choose to forgive, and we choose to offer grace, that we become more like Jesus. We become Christ-like. Our God is a God of forgiveness. He's a God that loves us unconditionally. And when we choose to align ourselves with His truth, then we find that grace is poured out to all mankind. We can choose like the wise men did to be guided unto truth. Even when they were surrounded by confusion, one of the ministries of the Holy Spirit is to lead us into all truth. And truth is that antidote to the lies that the enemy puts in our mind. We have an enemy that battles against us and he uses lies and deception and temptation and he puts those thoughts into our mind. Well, the antidote to that, the solution is the truth of God's word. And when we say the truth, the lie disappears. It has to flee. The Bible tells us that we will know the truth and the truth will set us free. And that truth is Jesus. And when we choose that truth, that's when we align ourselves with God's purpose and His plan. And as we make these daily choices, we find that the Holy Spirit produces in us the fruit of joy. Now, in the words of the Apostle Paul, speaking to the church in Philippi, I tell you, rejoice in the Lord always. And again, I say, rejoice. Would you stand with me? Heavenly Father, I pray that you would seal this message in our heart. Father, thank you for the joy that we can feel and and experience in the relationship that we have in you because of our faith that we've placed in Christ Jesus. Thank you, Lord, for this season of remembrance that, that you have reached down to man and that you have brought us back into right standing with you through Jesus Christ. We give you all praise. Thank you for the joy that we have. In Jesus' name, amen. This has been a message from Living Word Chapel. We hope that you've been blessed by it. Make sure you check out lwcoracle.org for more.